All right, what's going on, everyone? We're back for episode two of Generation Kill, not Generation War, which I've called it a few times now. I think that's a show, actually. I think that is a show, Generation War. For me. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, it's not what we're talking about, though. We're talking about Generation Kill. Um, so that was Sayer Payne chiming in there. Sayer, thanks for doing this again, man. Yeah, man. So a little background. My name is Preston Stewart. Uh, Sayer Payne joining us. Sayer and I were in the Army together uh, for a couple of years, deployed together to Southern Afghanistan with the 101st Airborne 2010-11 and started diving into some of these military series as of late. We talked about Band of Brothers. It was an easy place to start because of how much I think it impacted both of our lives and each episode. There's just so, so much you can pull out of it and had a lot of really positive feedback. People were asking to do the Pacific or Generation Kill, not Generation War. And the I think the last comment that was made was Generation Kill. So that's what we decided to dive into. It's a series I haven't seen, um, hadn't, hadn't seen until now. So I'm excited. This gave me a good excuse to get into it. But it's a seven-part series. It came out on HBO a little while back, focused on the early, the first days, really, of the 2003 war in Iraq, focused on uh, Marines, Marine units. Yep, yep, Marine recon. You'd seen it before, right, Sarah? Like yeah, but I watched it pretty quick, sort of on the background. It's it's not like being a brothers where I read the book and watched it numerous times. So it's interesting. And, and there were a lot of things that popped up in this episode, episode two, called Cradle of Civilization that, I don't know, I, I wonder what it'll look like in five, 10, 20 years. You know, what do the, we don't have a lot of experience here, but like, what was the movie where Vietnam veterans looked back and said that one, they got that one right. You know, how long did it take until that happened? I don't know. I feel like some movies and shows from Iraq and Afghanistan, there's been some that stand out as like, oh, that was better than the other. There were some scenes so far in Generation Kill where it's like, that's impressive. How It seems pretty accurate to me. Even like the way they have facial interactions with the command team, things like that. Just little nuances I, that to me as a veteran who's been there, it adds a realistic tone to it that I can feel um, because I was just talking to someone today, a buddy, and he was, I was talking about doing this in Generation Kill, which he's never heard of. And he was saying, well, you know, of course he's bringing up, was it like Hurt Locker or something? Because I know that that's one of those early ones that got a lot of notoriety. And I, I think that for a lot of us veterans, we, we just think that movie is a bunch of bullshit, you know, and um, this is not that. This to me is not, there's Hollywood parts to it, which is a 203 round. Okay. Every time, every time a 203 round gets Hollywooded, which where they're blowing up cars and flipping things. It's just, they're a lot, they're not as exciting as they are in a movie ever. Um, But that's kind of it. Other than that, I mean, I feel like they get the details. They really do. So the 203 round Sayers talking about is shown a couple times in this series. It's the Mark 19 grenade launcher. So they're about the size of a salt shaker. I use that as an example because I got for a gift when we were at Campbell, I think my uncle gave it to me, uh, salt shakers that were 40 mic mic. They they looked identical. They even felt identical. Like when you pick them up, they were metal. But anyways, they're, you know, small little grenades, 40 millimeter grenades, and they can fire out of a Mark 19 that you see in the episode here or a 203 that's that's mounted underneath a rifle. They fire those in the, in the, uh, in this episode as well. But you're spot on, man. Every one of those goes off. It's like a, a 500 pound bomb dropping, but the yeah. reality is it's, it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, the size it's of a, like a ping pong they, ball. 
they you work. It's, they can be effective. It's just not <laughs> the side I, of a building they, isn't coming down with one. The way I view them, they're more of like, a, oh, shit, pow, hey, I need to stay. You know, it, it keeps people pinned down. It keeps them inside. They're not going to want to step out because it does. It's a projectile flying at you that goes boom. But like, you're not taking a house down with it. So that's kind of the focus of this episode is, is this is the first time they're into combat. So, um, and it's interesting because we see how different all of these wars are. I mean, they've rolled for a while now until they get up to Nasiriya, um, which is towards the end of March, just a few days into the conflict. They've been around fighting, but haven't been really very close. It's not until they pull up on the banks of the river um, where they're expecting to pull through. And there's, there's, I want to say it's the second Marine division is pinned down in Nasiriya not pinned down, but in a pretty serious fight in Nasiriya. And they're kind of watching, not quite in combat. So even up through like the halfway point in this episode, there's still guys itching saying, we're never going to get to shoot. I'm never going to get my chance. Mm -hmm. It's always just a little ways away. Yeah. Cause they were just behind the line and um, they're obviously itching, but then you got to know your role. And that's where, um, that's why, you know, they got the mission change. And I like the line where Brad, I forget his last name. His name's Brad, um, the main here. team leader. Um, he's just like, hey, you know, the, we do missions here, okay? We had, we had mission A, and now our mission is to not have mission A anymore. <laughs> so just shut the fuck up and do your job. I mean, that's really what it is because, hey, we don't, especially these big picture things, do you go, to the bridge, do you go across the bridge, do you go into the town? Those are big level decisions of where units are going. Um, and it's, it's not at the platoon level, no. The platoon level order is, they get ordered to go into the town and then they have flexibility once they're already there. They don't get to make the decision to go around or any of that. They can offer up maybe, maybe an idea, but um, some of that, especially I think where they're at now, they're at there's 7,000 Marines in this operation. It's a huge, this is a huge offensive maneuver. General Mattis is on the ground maneuvering people. I mean, um, I like that little cameo. I mean, I don't know if cameo is the right way to put that, but yeah, what do you call that when, because it wasn't, it was the guy playing General Mattis, right? I think cameo yeah. is if Mattis was actually there. Right. Anyways, I like that scene. It was his character. I don't know. Um, I don't know if he had a celebrity back then. We all knew about him in the military, though. Um, and for those that don't like, know. I feel like I didn't really hear about Mattis much more until a little bit later. Um, yeah. Like Fallujah time frame. Or well, no, I'm, I mean, when this movie came out. When the movie oh, came gotcha. out. When the movie came Because this was 03 time frame. I would agree with you. I, I don't, you know. The, the stories didn't happen yet. Um. But then, probably, I don't know, 08, I think is when this came out, some, something like that timeline. Um, I don't know if he had his celebrity yet, because he definitely evolved into it. And a lot of it is due to this, this invasion part. I mean, he's a, he, he is an older guy now and a retired Secretary of Defense, yes. But, you, you know, what got him there? And as I know it, he's a warrior's leader. Um, and you can see the aggression. And you said they weren't pinned down. It sounds like he would have said differently um yeah I, I don't know either though i just I, I would like to learn more probably about the history of that battle itself 
and the reason I kind of backtracked from saying they, they were, weren't pinned down is because it was a pretty serious fight. Um, messy is probably a way I'd put it just, um, this is where the capture of Jessica Lynch happened. Hmm. It was right around Nasseria. So the morning before the attack kicked off, uh, a U.S. Army supply convoy took a wrong turn. And they ended up in the middle of, which is another crazy aspect of this war, right? This isn't, you know, you're now entering enemy territory. They were in enemy territory. Mm-hmm. And they just happened to get into an area where they weren't able to extract themselves. And some folks were killed, others were captured. And that was kind of uh, preceding this major attack on Nasiriya. And when they got into Nasiriya, there were some regular Iraqi army units, although I know a lot of them had um, changed clothes to look more um, like civilians. And then likely a lot of civilians had picked up arms as well. Um, I think that's a a gray area to figure out exactly how many of each. But nonetheless, it was a well-defended city. And it was kind of the first time the Iraqi military halted the Americans, slowed them mm-hmm. down. Um, the fight there raged for quite a while. There were a couple hundred Iraqi deaths. The, I think the official battles listed as lasting around a week, but mm-hmm. the main part was just a couple days, but it saw 32 Americans killed. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. I mean, we, you know, when we're, we get busy looking at things like World War II and, and, and you know, we were just talking about 101st Airborne and some of these major actions and 32 isn't a big number, but in, in the early days of the Iraq war and the entire global war on terror, 32 killed into battles a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guy I went to ROTC with later, he was with a Ranger regiment during this, like Jessica Lynch time frame. Um, just a hey. wild, wild wet. I mean, it's just a really crazy time to be in Iraq. Have you I gone mean, down there? I was just going to say real quick, just that still that imagery, but they're still in these soft skins. It's still so odd seeing them with the gunners, not behind anything, just those little uh, pendles the, for the turrets. Um, they just, they're shooting out the windows, you know, the windows go down. It's just really interesting to see how it's, it's wild west type stuff. I mean, these aren't tactics, right? We were talking about how tactics have to change in the last one. I don't think there's a SOP for any of them. I mean, they're just kind of rolling through and shooting stuff as it, as they get shot at and, and just reacting to contact as, as the best judgment and violence of action as they see fit for that moment. You know, there's a lot of winging it. Have you gone down the rabbit hole of the Jessica Lynch story? Not really. Yeah. I started to a little bit ago. I was going to make a video about it, but it, it has so many different branches of, I don't know that there's any, one that says it was fake, like the entire thing was fake. But there's people that are very, there's some very strong opinions, I'll say that. And a lot of conflicting information that just makes it weird. And anyways, it was, I thought, I I started to look it up and I thought it would just be like, you know, here's a couple articles about what happened. It's not, it's, there's so many people that have different takes on it that uh, I kind of backed off a little bit, but Anyways, that's, well, my guy that's would say he said it's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of bullshit from that thing, and it's not what they said it is. I mean, I don't, I can't remember exactly what all the reasons were, but I just know that he was salty about it, um, and it wasn't what we think it is. So maybe a topic for another day, but there was a scene in this I wanted to point out where the commander gave the call. He said, "Cleared hot on civilian targets." You remember that? Yep. 
that threw me off. I thought they were going to try to clarify that at some point because I, you know, not being there, I don't believe that is what was meant. Um, I find it hard to believe that it was just this. I mean, that declares it a free fire zone, kill anybody. And I thought they were going to come back and kind of clarify that and say, you know, if they're spotting rounds or if they're running ammunition or if they have a rifle and they're not in uniform, they're still, you know, considered hostile, but they kind of left that up in the air. Yeah. Cause he sold it as for spotters, but then he, he really didn't describe it like that when he put the order out to everybody else. And then what did it evolve into later? If it started as spotters, did it get even looser? I mean, they kept, they kept loosening it as they went. Um, but hey, you and I both know Iraq was a free fire zone for a lot of it. I mean, though we know that people that did I, you know, had Iraq deployment had a lot different story about the rules of engagement and 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 the way that they would return fire and who would, you know, it, it was a different type war. And this is at the very beginning. And and they are Marines. I mean, they they breathe fire. I mean, those are the break glass in case of emergency. They're they're there to kill. That is their purpose. And you, you bring up a good point that this was early in the war. I was talking with uh, Kyle yesterday, Kyle Snook, mm-hmm. and we were randomly got on this topic and we were saying just how different, how different it is. It's, you can't, it's almost hard to say, you know, I, I, I keep doing it rolling um, Iraq and Afghanistan into one. You probably shouldn't even do that, let alone right. Iraq from 03 to 04. Right. Oh seven. Like they're very right. different conflicts. And at this point, when it comes to, you know, this, it, it gets tricky when you start seeing the civilians that on the side of the road. Um, I, I, I can never advocate for intentionally targeting civilians. I don't, I don't think there's a scenario where that pays off. Um, but in, in a war like this that we're seeing at the very beginning with people entering combat for the first time, um, things happen and it's not always good. Um, war is awful is what it comes down to. So when you see a child on the side of the road with their legs blown off, maybe, maybe that was the act, a horrible act. Somebody shouldn't have shot at that kid. Maybe it was collateral damage. And it's, that's tough to see that, to be honest. Well, yeah. And it, again, it's the invasion. And you got to think what the soldiers are going through. They don't know. That, are we dealing with uh, Fedayeen? Are we dealing with the Republican Guard? We've heard that. Are we dealing with the Iraqi nationals? And, and the Iraqis are pulling the bullshit of the hiding the guns and the civilian shit. They're also doing that. Let's not forget that. Um, I don't blame them for that. You got to use your terrain to your advantage, but like that's happening. That's a, that's a fact that the Marines have to deal with, with these people um, hiding shit under their um, robes and, and, and weapons caches where guns can be propped up alongside a window that you can't tell they're there. RPGs, they can turn a corner and hit you with an RPG or not, or they could just keep walking. And meanwhile, I would think this is a middle of a highly publicized invasion and you're going into a very known hotbed. You weren't in one earlier. People were not screwing with you. But now it looks like, okay, we've hit the, the real LD into uh, no man's land. And why would you be there unless you were bad? Everybody knows we're coming. 
Um, other people behind us, obviously not, not every Iraqi has a problem with us. Um, and then they're entering into this hot zone where lots of people are shooting at them. And it would be hard to think like, if you, the only reason you are there is to fight us at this point. That's why you're there, in fact. And that puts the civilians in a tough spot. And I, I feel for them, to be honest. It's, it's, right. it's relatively modern. You know, it's a relatively modern issue. If you go back to like the American Civil War, a family walking down the street wasn't as likely to be gunned down um, thinking that they were on the attack as even in World War II. Um, mm-hmm simply moving around from one place to the other, maybe on, on a rail line or a car or whatever could, could put your life at risk. And then especially in modern conflicts, when people are shedding uniforms and wearing traditional, normal, everyday garb, I did like the scene where they showed, you know, possible RPG team off to the right, mm-hmm. right? They said like 700 meters, some decent distance. And they showed the guy pull up, he pulled up his optic and they showed it while the truck is moving guys potentially with RPGs in the distance and in the heat of the moment, I think they did a really good job of showing that sounds like it should be easy. A guy running around with an RPG on his shoulder. That is so hard to tell in the blink of an eye at long range. Yep. And kudos. They had open RO. Remember they had the open ROE. They didn't unload. It's not like they all of a sudden said two guys, 900 meters, you know, a 50 cal can rip into that. Um, if they wanted to, they could just unload immediately. I got two guys. Let's do it. They didn't do that. You know, they did PID. They could even, um, Brad again was saying he's unsure. He just wanted to make, Hey, I'm not sure I saw the two pretty sure, but, um, you know, they wanted to check it out further. Uh, and yeah, to have the eyeballs, but Hey, that situational awareness head on a swivel. Um, but to your point about the civilians, yeah, I mean, they're the ultimate casualty about all this. They didn't ask for any of this. That's Afghanistan. It's the same thing. How many innocents have died from all of this? It's way more than the actual combatants. They're the ones caught, you know, civilians are the ones caught in the middle. Even, even on our Afghanistan deployment, it's not like we were even fighting the locals. We knew that. The locals were just the farmers, the poor people that lived there. The fighters were coming in from Pakistan. And, and meanwhile, the Americans and the Pakistan Taliban were just blowing everything up in between us. And then the civilians, they're the ones that have to live there. Um, that's the nasty part. That's, that is the nasty part and sad reality of the way it is. I'm going to turn for a minute. I have like six bullet points on this subject, and I don't know which one to grab, so I'm just going to throw it out there nice and broad. It's hard to watch Captain America. Guy they call Captain. It's hard to watch him in this. It's mm-hmm. um, it makes me uncomfortable. He constantly makes me uncomfortable. He says and does things that are hard to believe. I there's a part of me that says this is this was a book and and now a TV show. So I'm sure there's some Hollywood in here. It's impossible not to have some Hollywood. But if he was 50 percent um, of the character that's being shown. Holy cow. I mean, the first off, just grabbing an AK and, and shooting up a car, denying the enemy transportation, right? Like, that's a different guy. No, that is a different guy. I'm learning the people too. That's a PL. He's a. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. The fat guy with the mustache. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because he starts to get introduced. Because I think we've seen him before, but we didn't really know who he was. 
and uh yeah um but they're cut from the same cloth and it's like they attract shit bags they probably have a shit bag commander so then they put shit bag people there sometimes i mean that does happen and um you can just tell i mean that pl is totally aloof he's fucking clueless he's clueless to think if it's so important to have an ak then you need to give it to one of your guys because you're the last one who should be shooting i think we talked about that before at some point and then you got captain america who's remember we talked about this at the band of brothers it's like sobel and that it's the in the sense of remember he's getting lost on the map and how how it's so fundamental for a leader to know where they are on the map so important look at we just talked about jessica lynch um that was you know a part of that is not the iraqis killing her that's that's bad decision making on the ground that's lack of a, that's lack of situational awareness that's a poor decision to to take a wrong go down a place you're not supposed to go that is a at the end of the day that's a preventable thing that a leader who knew where they were on a map would not allow to do that is that's reality um mistakes are made that was a mistake and captain america made a mistake but thankfully they they were they were completely alone at that point in the rear uh so there's no they would have had no assistance they easily could have gotten separated and cordoned off in a way and and um completely rolled up because he got lost on a map that's how important it is uh it seems like a little issue but it's it's like it's a fatal flaw if you ask me on top of him just being completely aloof and not self-aware so i you've got me nervous now i wrote down that it was captain america that came over the radio and said this but we'll see um one of the leaders comes over the radio and says they should call us the first suicide battalion you remember that's, that that's the p yeah. that's the fat pl must okay so i wanted to get your thoughts on that because He's probably saying what some of the guys are thinking. Um, I feel like, at least in my experience, there were some soldiers that overthought things to the detriment to their detriment a little bit. Yeah, um, it's one thing to be aware of what you're getting into, but it, it happens everywhere in every job where people they play it out ten degrees beyond. You know what happens if we take that trail and hit an IED, and then the medevac gets an IED. And then you start like, oh my God, 75 of us are going to die. And you're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> walk it back. Um, so maybe not everybody was thinking we should be called the first suicide battalion, but they're getting into some pretty tricky situations here, rolling through cities with unarmored vehicles on their own with no air support. What do you, what do you think about that situation? How do you relay that information um, to, to present it in a serious way? but not scare people? Is that the right way to put it? Well, number one, fear is a disease. It is highly contagious. And uh, you just gotta squash it. So obviously he's not helping to the situation by doing that. It, it doesn't help anybody because guess what? They already know it. They're not idiots. Everybody knows their light skin. Everybody knows the gunners don't have turrets. Um, everybody knows it except for a few of them that went to Afghanistan. Most of them haven't been in the ship before. They're all highly aware of this thing. And then they start seeing um, not just Iraqi dead bodies, but U.S. dead bodies. And it's like, um, that's eye-opening. And that, But they all know that and they all feel it. And so that's the question. What do you do? Do you feed that feeling? 
because it'll get out of hand. I'll tell you that. And then that accidents happen because hesitation gets people killed too. Indecisiveness. Um, but honestly, my take on a situation like that, the tone, the motif of all of it is telling the truth in an it is what it is sort of way. You know, you can't always just say it is what it is, but that's that's kind of how I took it. You're telling the truth. Hey, look, here, here's a situation. We are in all of these situations with this. Uh, we're all in this. Um, we've got a lot of danger ahead of us. We know that. We all know that. But there's a lot of buts. For one thing, we're armed to the teeth. We're going to fuck these people up. We got loose ROE. Um, we are going to be on the offensive. We are not going to be on our hill, on our heels. Okay. Yes, we don't have air support but we've got a lot of firepower on our own okay we've they just did jrtc or whatever that prior deployment was these are marines they are ready this is what they were trained to do so guess what they're gonna go do it is anybody surprised at where they found themselves no and remember every single person volunteered for this every single person and i think that's also important and then you just fucking move on and go so I think there's something worth, if, if the order was for one soft skin Humvee to go sit in the middle of Nasseria in the middle of that fight and wait for following orders, it would be the responsible thing for that leader to stand up and say, no, they're going to get killed. They can't, that's, right. not, that's not reasonable. So assuming that the order and the mission are reasonable, what comes to mind for me is the term respect. Um, respecting the enemy, respecting the situation you're getting into. Because I think there's a line to walk between, you know, thinking this is going to be a cakewalk. We're the biggest, baddest dudes on this earth. Nobody can touch us. That can get you in some trouble because maybe you don't take the threat as seriously. Maybe you walk on trails you shouldn't walk on. Maybe you don't pay full attention to the rooftops and you should. But if you veer too far in the other direction of, oh my God, we're all going to die, it can be paralyzing. So there's this to me, it's almost this feeling of respect, respect the enemy, respect what's capable, what they're capable of. Um, yeah. And there's going to be some fear involved with that if you do it correctly. But yeah, that's that's kind of what came to mind for me. Yeah. Hey, by the way, when I was just talking about that mentality, um, it doesn't mean that individual isn't, fear, you know, scared shitless on the inside, too. <laughs> but like but the reality is there's there's nothing else you can do about it. you got to move forward. And like. And it does look like the platoon leader. They wanted to go around. They offered up things, but they couldn't, right? Because at the end of the day, they're just a cog in the, in, in the wheel. And they had to do it. They had to do it. And yeah, it sucks they didn't have the turrets, but it was like, you, you don't have time to change that fact. You don't have a magic wand. You, you don't get um, armored Humvees all of a sudden. And you don't get to go around the village. You have to go freaking through it, unfortunately. And that sucks. It really does. But um, but you, you got to do it. And what you were bringing up, because the opposite was another disease. You're exactly right. You have fear as a disease and you have complacency. And that's also highly contagious where people think that they're hot shots all of a sudden, maybe after they get after, through this one battle, nobody really got hurt. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they feel invincible. You, we saw what that gunner did reality check motherfuckers. Um, we got lucky and they laughed at it because it is elating to come through all you know, a, a scenario like that and to like be alive and shit. It's like, it's, it's a really, um, 
euphoric sort of feeling. But like, if you do that enough, you're going to downplay very dangerous situations <laughs> where all it takes is one slip up and really bad dates for many, many, many people down the line. And um, you're always battling complacency because at first it's fear, but then it evolves into complacency, truly, because you get so accustomed to doing such dangerous things because it's your job. It's your life when you're over there. They eventually, the, the episode kind of ends with them rolling into some pretty serious combat for the first time, despite always being right on the verge of getting into it. They actually do here at the end when they are told to roll through the city instead of around. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And they pass it down through the ranks, like get ready. Here it goes. And as they're rolling in, they're singing. There's guys in the backs of the truck singing. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, that threw me off because I don't know. I had mixed, mixed feelings on that. I know it had to have been nerve wracking. I wonder if there was still a feeling of we're not going to get in a fight. It's not going to happen because to me, the emotion right before something like that, you know, I'm thinking of the times when we had aerosol missions. Like when we were on the aircraft going in, I wasn't singing. I had 274 million thoughts going through my mind. I couldn't. And they, I don't know. I, I feel like when we look back at some of these other shows, if we can use those as context and bands of band of brothers, they were singing when they were, leaving the fight right they could kind of, kind of put their guard down and mm -hmm. relax a little bit it, it threw me off a little bit that they were doing that going into contact and i wonder if that's something that has to do with first contact um i don't know what do you think well it could be the um For one thing, it's called Generation Kill for a reason. I think that a lot of people were, you know, they were looking forward to this shit. You know, it was an invasion. It was a different time than we were in Iraq or Afghanistan. It really was. I mean, this was like tip of the spear war on terror stuff, which is, let's not even get started about that. But it was, and it was a big deal. And they were talking about, hey, these are the first Americans to be here, which means we didn't do it during Desert Storm. We're pushing further than we did then. That's what that means. Um, and, uh, when you, and if you think you're just going to roll up on people, I think they were underestimating them. I think that that's a little bit of a theme here on this episode. Not, not everybody, but maybe as a, as a collective, I think we were as a society. Don't you remember watching the, these invasions in high school and they were just dropping bombs and stuff and Saddam's in hiding and all you just hear is just thousands surrendering at a time yeah and, and then constant pushing forward i mean i guess they got halted here in the marines for 20 minutes but like they kept moving forward at the end of the day and it, it was a minor thorn in the side at the end of the day and i think that um the reality of it hadn't quite set in but again some of them and i think it was really important just just talking about how hard these people are when they came up on that um sort of sleeping area where uh sort of little hideout where they found some of those guys and their gear and equipment and how they were living out there like that um with well-oiled weapons for some of them you could tell it was a reality check like hey these guys are not it's not a cakewalk um these are some these are some hard-ass dudes and they're trying to fight they're trying to kill us and then that increases right as they start driving forward they're getting more evidence of that and um 
who knows what anybody was expecting either. You know, I, these guys also, Hey, let's not forget. They haven't slept for like two days and that's going to mess you up. That's going to jack you up. Seriously. Like the driver at one point says he's so high. <laughs> I'm so high right now. Cause I haven't slept. And that's, that's true. I mean, you get loopy, you yeah. do get loopy and maybe they were rolling deep playing Barney music just to, cause it keeps them awake and they're laughing and shit. And that seems like a psychotic thing, but like, it's one of those, it is what it is. They haven't slept and they're going right into the hornet's nest for the very first time in a massive invasion. And they do, they get into this city fight. And the note that I took was urban combat looks absolutely terrifying. I have trained it to the degree that a lot of people in the army have, have done some you know, variation of military operations and urban terrain, right? Mount training. Um, I guess now I, I meant to say this earlier as we were getting into some of the things, neither Sarah or I uh, deployed to Iraq. Neither mm -hmm. of us were in an urban setting. It was a very rural combat in Southern Afghanistan. We had a lot of friends, both, I think, spent time in Iraq uh, mm -hmm. er, from early, at every stage of the war, right? Yep. But, oh my God, the thought of driving those Humvees down those narrow streets and at any corner, any window, any door, a rifle, RPG, grenade, like my anxiety spiked watching that. Um, and not, not like a PTSD kind of thing, but like, a how, how are you going to make it? <laughs> how are you going to make it? There's an ambush in 75 directions. Right now. That's what I'm saying. There's no tactics for something like this. There's no FM for what the heck they were doing with um, unmarked combatants type training. We did, again, you were talking about us kind of doing it. Yeah. And you know what all it comes down to is just being a shoot house. It's like a, a live shooting range and try not to get shot. I, violence of action, don't stop, right? Um, keep, make sure you don't run out of ammo, keep the guns talking. I guess, those, you know, those are uh, tactics, but like, I don't, I don't think they're, you're not going to know until you're there. And that's, well, that's kind of the art of warfare in a sense. You just have to always be flexible and adaptable. And um, you just got to figure it out on the ground, be decisive. And I think uh, something that's shown a lot in movies, they did a good job of not quite getting to this point in the show, is the bad guys always have a silhouette in the window, right? Or you see the rifle creeping up over the window and poking out the window. And it gives you this split second of like, there's a rifle pointing through the door. Like, think about if you were in their shoes. Would you do that? Would you wait for the enemy to come by and stick your weapon out the door so they can see you? Or would you take a few steps back, wait for them to drive by, and shoot from inside to where they never even see you? And it just takes one shot to kill the gunner, mm -hmm. another one to kill the driver. Um, and you don't even have a chance to return fire because by the time you realize your guy just got shot, you're already to the next building. And you don't know, wait, did that come from the first story on the right or the fourth story on the left? Or was it in front of us? Well, in your right, like watching this, it, while it's real, it, that's what seems Hollywood to me, just being in a different war context with a different environment, because like where they were getting the clean shots of the guys that just like kind of turns the corner with an RPG or an AK, they were probably, do, they were doing that in close contact to the trucks. But like for us, I think a lot of times it felt, you were fighting muzzle flashes and it was like, uh, 
the Patriot, the guy on the Patriot where he's stacking the weapons on different areas and shooting at you. And you're just like, what the hell? Um, we were the Redcoats getting ambushed all the damn time. Um, this was like, this was more up close and personal, I think. I mean, they weren't even seeing silhouettes all the, even though they were though, like across the street when that, uh, that first kind of contact where they were hanging out on the near side of the bridge, that to me seemed pretty damn accurate where you just, you get these rounds zipping, um, people are shooting at you. And that's what it felt like. Even if it was at 75 meters, it doesn't have to be 500 meters. That sort of engagement is what I felt more, um, used to versus what we're seeing at this point at the end of the episode where they're like 10 meters away from some of these people um which that was commonplace in iraq it was a different it was a different enemy with different tactics it was different terrain different country different region of the world even and i didn't mean any of that to knock the show or anything like that i i I, it's whether they saw as many people you know, for every guy that's really well hidden and waiting for the perfect mm-hmm. time to take a shot, there's also the guy that picks up a rifle and steps out into the alleyway to get, and like the gunner sees him before that happens. So like that definitely happened. Um, not every Fedeen fighter or Iraqi soldier or militia member was expertly trained. A lot of them did things. Some of them would just step out in the middle of the road to take a shot, right? And that's a different story. But um, more just to say, if you hear that and say, well, how do you fight through that? Correct. Um, I can't imagine. In in an extremely kinetic environment, there's a reason that urban combat can be so, so, so deadly. Yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't take it as you were criticizing. And I'm sure some of it was Hollywood because it was action because this is the point where a two or three flips a car over. Okay. And that's where I, that's Hollywood. We didn't get issued those. Yeah. I'd like to. um, But other than that, I thought it was great shooting the guys in the building. I wanted to see more Mark 19 hit that building because there's your two or three rounds. Let's see some Mark 19 hit that. All those openings in there, light it up. Uh, I did want to see that. Um, I wish they had some toes mounted, of course. I wanted to see some shoulder rockets, um, but we got what we got. And uh, I'm glad, hey, and I'm glad because this is all real. I'm glad that, um, you know, they were able to go through that sort of thing without losing anyone because it is kind of surprising being in light-skinned Humvees in a three-sided ambush essentially like in the low ground it's like being down in a valley I mean you're just a sitting duck they've got RPGs they can shoot at you from the top uh all this stuff right through the doors and they just they didn't suffer I thought they would have got suffered more casualties from a firefight like that and the last scene, or kind of how they wrap up the episode, is this sense of euphoria. I'll call it like an adrenaline dump mm-hmm. where they're hugging each other and they're excited because of that. Nobody got killed. Nobody got wounded. They made it through. And that's a real thing. I think mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of veterans struggle with when they come back. That level of excitement and fear and adrenaline dumping them is very challenging to replicate the thing that comes to mind for me and it's not a one-to-one but i feel like it gets you in the right frame of mind is if you're a sports fan and the national championship game with your team is in overtime or is down to the last play and it's been a nail biter for the last 15 minutes and it ends on the very last play in your favor 
And you know how you're standing up in front of the TV, maybe you're pacing around, maybe you can't look. And then it's over and you won and you kind of sit down and just feel like you're exhausted, but you're happy, you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. it's, it's similar to that, but magnified. Yeah. What do you think? Is that, does that kind of get there a little bit? Well, I think it screws with your emotions. Yeah, for sure. Because your body adjusts to this like elation. And I don't think there is a, I want to say better feeling. I don't know if better is the right word for it, but there is nothing in the world like that feeling of coming back and taking all your gear off after something like that. It's, it stands alone. And then it's like, me, I've never even chased that feeling afterwards. I'm not like trying to jump out of airplanes and chase it or anything like that. But like, but what it does though, for me personally, is it significantly muted other emotions that maybe should create illicit response, whether negative or positive. You know what I mean? It's just, it's such a severe reaction to have significant reaction that it's absorbed all of my it's nullified a lot of the other stuff in, in a lot of ways. It's just hard to, hard to elicit something because coming back like that, and we are lucky. We are so lucky that that's what happened every time, you know, like that's just luck. And, and you don't want to, that's why you say it's like, it's tough to even label it a good feeling or whatever. Cause then it's like, it's still fucked up with, the whole thing is jacked up, you know, but, but your body is just trying to, to get through just like the, these Marines had to, at the end of the day, you just have to do it and you got to get through it with the best of your abilities. And if you're 48 hours tired and you're singing Barney songs to stay awake or whatever, and then uh, you get after that and you, and you put a dip in after this big old firefight and you start smoking cigarettes and rippets and like going, woo! It's, but you know, you do crash eventually, right? Reality does set in and guess what? You got to do it again and again and again. And that's a whole other um, experience, which I'm sure we'll get more of that into this episode as we go. Cause this was just the first. I like that they showed it though, because I feel like in a lot of movies and shows when the combat ends, it kind of just shifts to the next thing, whether it's sitting in a foxhole or, or getting ready for the next jump. In, in at market garden or whatever like that that showing of the feeling i don't know i feel like they did a good job here and they don't often show it it's exhilarating um, maybe that's the word it's exhilaration is what it is and and you know what the journalist even felt it everybody did so i've got a picture i'll put it on instagram but it's uh somebody i don't know who took it of me and a couple of our guys after our very last patrol out of strong point dog and mm. You can see, I don't know, maybe it's knowing how I felt in the picture, but when I see it, that's the emotion that comes to mind is that euphoria of like, oh, yeah, like done, 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 done. We weren't really done, but at that moment, it really felt like, uh, <laughs> you know, it was all yeah. said and done. It's, it, it is. And that's what, the, that's what forges those bonds. And that's because you, um, much like when you're celebrating a national championship, I mean, a lot of times, even if you're watching in your house, you remember who those people you're celebrating it with. Um, you're sharing those, you're sharing those experiences all together that are extremely unique. And they're some of the strongest emotions, if not the strongest emotions you'll feel your entire life. That includes wedding days. That includes uh, children's births. 
that includes other people, family members, deaths. True. I mean, I'm only talking for myself here, but it's such a strong emotional feeling to have and to share with others in that, that all those other people that I just described, your spouses, your children, your parents, um, they weren't there and they don't know what it's like. They have no clue, in fact. And so, um, and then everybody gets out and goes off and does their own things, right? And you're just kind of carrying these sort of um, memories and emotions that are, uh, at least to me, incredibly what feels to be unique. Um, but we're all, everybody has their own individual shit that they go through, you know? That's just the, that's the combat piece of it, um, going through it. Uh, that could be labeled as trauma, you know, for another person or even for anybody in combat, because it is that, uh, it's just that cortisol or something, you know, it's, it's those hormones, it's, it's your whole fight or flight response being uh, tested to its limits. I like it, man. It'll be interesting to see how, uh, how they kind of bounce back from this first contact. And I have a feeling they're, they're not all going to be as um, happy right. after some follow-on ones, but that's for later episodes. So that's going to wrap it up for episode two, Generation Kill. We'll be back soon with episode three. Sayer, thanks again, man. Oh, yeah. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.